Okay, good evening everybody or good morning for some of you. I would like to welcome all of you here for our weekly meetup like the UX Indonesia meetup. And it is good to have a lot of you here this evening and join us. Uh, we are, have a very special guest, Professor Eva Honecker. She's going to talk more about his her works and uh, what she's doing, which is like, uh, I believe, something interesting for everybody who are here. So, yeah, I will let Professor Honecker to introduce yourself and then continue with your presentation. Uh, the stage is yours, uh, Professor Honecker. So I'll briefly introduce myself. I'm Eva Honecker. I'm a professor of human-computer interaction. And I'm, I am German, but I've lived a long time in the United Kingdom, uh, England and Scotland. I've also spent a year in New Zealand. And I'm specializing on research methods, qualitative research methods. And over time, museums have really become a special area for me. And today I'm going to present about a project. Where am I moving into the projector thing? Sorry, this takes me a moment. Yeah, this one. So, sorry, this is a new tool for me. Okay. So I'm talking about a project where we were asked to do usability testing. And that at that point was very interesting for us because so far I had mostly gone into museums afterwards, after stuff had been installed and was researching it more from a research perspective. And here we were being asked to get involved um, at the prototype stage. So it was really the chance to influence something. And later on, we went back into the museum to see how the installations were actually used. This is research conducted together with Emma Nickel while I was in Glasgow in Scotland at the University of Strathclyde. So we were contracted in summer 2010, what feels like ages ago, um, and there was a museum that existed, the Robert Burns Museum, that was completely redeveloped. He's the, nas the national poet for Scotland. And the National Trust Scotland asked us to do what's called a formative user study of five prototypes for these installations. Installations that were aimed at families and young children. And we were to identify usability issues. They also wanted to know how engaging are these installations, can they be made more fun and easier to use, and whether people actually understand what they're about, because they are related to Robert Burns. Here's a bit of the context. Um, on the left, you see what the museum later looked like, and on the outside, so this is his village where he lived. One of the aims that I had based on my in situ research in museums was that the findings would be really relevant. So one, we know the museum target group of this museum, it's families and older adults. Also the installations are mini games, so the interaction should be casual and fun. Now one problem with traditional usability tests is that normally you have a single user 
and then the focus is on efficiency and speed and error rates and usually people get a specified task description now go and um, find something buy a product or something like that there's not that much work on how to evaluate this kind of more game-like system within hci the testing of social games is probably the closest of kin there's also pair usability tests, which is also similar. But in museums, the idea of a task doesn't work. Um, in museums, we have what's called free choice learning. There's an interplay of a lot of factors. It's a very personal learning. People don't have a direct goal to do. To do. It's more about ed edutainment. And there's a lot of distractions. It's not like at work. And also what's important in museums, what we know from the literature, is on the one hand usability, especially what's called immediate apprehendability, that people know immediately um, what this is about and what to do, as well as immediate enjoyment and experience. One problem was that we couldn't test things in the real context of use because the museum was completely being rebuilt. And from a research perspective, our question was how much can we actually emulate or predict of the behavior and in what respects will the user behavior be different once the installations are in the museum. So we had four touch screens and one interactive table and I'm trying to show you some of that interactions on the screen. Come on. So that was the one we tested and you can see this is a transparency metaphor. And you can scroll and so on. And so that was, oops. Okay, I can't show you the other ones because I closed too many. Ah, maybe I can show you that one. That one's still working. That was a table game, an interactive table, but with knife, this um, button for all of these. I thought I'd briefly show you these because it's easier to understand when you've at least gotten a glance of what these look like. Now, get the slideshow up again. So the first one is the Time of Shanta poem, which is a really famous poem that every kid knows because they learn it in school at age four and five. Um, so you have this transparency metaphor and you basically recreate the poem. And on the right, you see photo uh, fit. That's basically like one of these police descriptions. What did uh, Robert Burns look like according to descriptions? There was a poetry game that focused on the rhythm of the poem. And you see the tabletop game, which is played with buttons that you see here. That's our testing prototype. So it's not a multi-touch touch screen. And that had six successive sub-games that lead through the Burns Supper Festivity, which is an annual feast with dance, song, and food and drinks, and recital of the poems. So our study approach is that, okay, let's invite young families uh, to recreate the social situation in a museum. And we also told them, if you can, bring a friend of your kid. 
Um, we were interested in whether siblings can actually play together and if it's interesting enough for them to watch while others play, um, what is the role of parents, what age group do, do things work like and so on. So each game was used by eight families and we also got a few senior couples to play with that. We tried to emulate the physical installation setup as best as possible. So the installations are games, so we just told them play with this. Here's something, imagine this in a museum, go play with this. That was the task. And we didn't give them any instructions. Um, and that's because in museums, there are no manuals and there's nobody showing you how to do it. So that is actually realistic. We also tried a semi-natural setting. So most sessions were conducted within one of the art galleries in Glasgow that people go in. We also try to recreate the physical setup as much as possible because it's known how display size can influence whether groups can interact um, and even height and angle can make a difference. So here's the study setup in the library um, where you see them playing with one of the games. And the interactive table was actually quite a lot of, of work. And it was also interesting because the companies that developed these it was the first time they were involved with user testing. So at the start, they didn't, they told us, oh, well, you can just play it at your laptop and uh, P and Q on the keyboard would uh, correspond to the buttons. And we said, no, but this, we want to really get into the gameplay uh, because only then will we see some of the usability issues. And it, it's gonna be too complicated if people have to play it on a keyboard. So we actually built this table, um, tried to approximate the size that it would be at, and we had the same input uh, mechanism buttons. Later, it turned out that the actual table was much bigger, um, but our table was actually good enough to test the gameplay. So what we saw in the, in the usability studies was very, very similar to what we saw in the museum later. So the one that you briefly saw was a stabbing the Haggis uh, game where the host in the middle distributes these thingies that is actually sausages and you have to punch them with a knife. We are pressing buttons. Here's some pictures from playing the games. So what did we do? We invited people to play until time ran out. Um, we did help people if they got really stuck. So often in usability testing, the textbooks say you shouldn't, um, you shouldn't interrupt and you shouldn't interfere. But we thought it didn't make sense to have people not get past the opening screen, which sometimes happened. Um, we really need to test the entire interaction. So if after five minutes they still didn't know what to do, we showed them or we gave them a hint. And if at successive stage they got stuck, we also helped. We observed and took extensive notes. We also did video for the usability analysis. We mostly relied on observation and our notes. Um, only later for deeper analysis, we went to the video. There was a questionnaire for parents and the older adults. And then because we had really small children um, from three up to eight, and because we knew that with children that are younger than six or seven, it's really hard to interview them and to get any sensible out of them. Because we knew that from prior research, we asked the children to draw themselves playing the game. And you see some of the pictures that came out of that while their parents were doing the questionnaire. 
And then we would have a final interview with them and we simply ask them, oh, okay, that's a nice drawing. So can you explain to me what you showed? And that, that gave an entry point for them and helped them to focus um, so we could get some more input from them. And we did a little paper on that method. Evaluation questions were whether people understand how to play the game, how easy or difficult they find it, identify common problems and suggest design changes. After all, it was a practical project uh, helping the company to improve it for the museum. We wanted to know whether children could play them on their own or relied on parents, if uh, the game supported collaborative plays. Also, what suggestions people give to improve it. And also one thing that we already knew was that young children, if you ask them, did you like, do you, do you like this? They always will try to please you. Um, so it's important to observe actual problems in the interaction. And giving the right instructions is really crucial here for the users to understand what the game entails. Um, at the start, they just see the entrance screens. So the graphics need to make sense. And we had one week for every game to test it and to produce a written re report with problems and design change suggestions. So here you see children trying to figure out how to drag the sheet and how to place the figures. And what's happened here is something really typical that they press on the transparency sheet uh, but don't realize that it goes through and that you would have to move the transparency sheet to actually see the figures. So here at some point they've noticed and here there's a mother that's keeping to the background and this interaction is really typical for the game and the problem that we see here was it taking a while to figure out how to play this. Oops, it's quite normal. Here we see the interactive table being played. A mom with kids and some of their friends. And they get really competitive, even the mom. And again, this also was very typical and also typical of what happened later. So here just some of our report suggestions like instructions disappearing too quickly and the wording not really good, um, scroll buttons um, not reacting to short tapping or people pressing long and expecting that to have an effect and it didn't, active regions around these thin fragile figures, um, so the, the cat was really hard to actually get off the transparency sheet and this drag and drop metaphor for moving figures Everyone expected to be able to do drag and drop uh, because they didn't understand it's a transparency. So all in all, instructions and wordings in the final versions were heavily revised, um, especially with the wording of instructions. And here one of the tricks was that when we interviewed people later to ask them, so can you please describe in your own words how you interacted with that and how it worked? And then we use some of their vocabulary, some of the way how they describe things to actually improve the instructions. So that's a practical tip. Um, I hear somebody? 
So all of that helped to uh, improve usability issues. And it was really nice going in the museum later and to see how it was all suggested. Also, some of the um, features that users have suggested in terms of, oh, it feels like the, the, the it's not complete. I would expect like a digital present at the end. Some of that was then um, put in. Some of the observations, adults learned from children and children from adults. Different installations evoked really different group styles, whether there was more turn-taking and a shared activity, uh, or if people were talking more and really doing quick turns, working together, or if it was more individual activity, um, if there was fighting over control and screen hogging and so on, and what the parental roles were. But one thing that we started to realize that this um, usability setup where you invite people to come to you, the study situation influences the perceptions. And some of that was mirrored in suggestions for improvement. So the parents often compared the games with home video games and said the graphics were not being up to date compared to, for instance, Nintendo. And that was despite us seeing that people were and the kids were really more in really into the interaction and they didn't care about the graphics in that situation. Also many suggestions they gave, like extending that and having people play against each other from our background knowledge were simply not compatible with the museum situation or might actually reduce accessibility for older or younger users because they, the parents were forgetting that it was not about, about a game you play at home but in a museum setting. Also, we noticed that parents really seem to feel a need to supervise and educate their children. And we were a bit skeptical whether that would transfer to the museum. So um, question was, what will be different in the museum? Will installations be just as attractive when there is other stuff around? How will parents behave? What's the influence of the physical setup? And also something that's typical for a museum, but that's hard to emulate in a usability study. What happens if people come and go and then an installation is left midway and the next person comes and encounters it um, like in the middle of an interaction. So we did an in situ observation, open-ended. Um, we partially extended it to other installations close by. Um, I spent 20 hours over six days observing. A second researcher also spent one day we did extensive field notes, lots of video clips, uh, take photos, so it's qualitative analysis and coding that we had. So in the end, we could compare those eight families we had in the game. And on video, I had, for instance, 18 families using the photo fit, 22 doing the poetry game, and so on. And even just looking at these briefly strong differences in family interactions between the lab and the, the wild, the museum became clear. And on the background of literature and own experience from related research, some of that can be explained like family museum behavior. Another thing, the museum was given an award in the year after it opened and it had one million visitors in its first year. So that was something where I was really happy, like my work really had an impact. So one thing we found was uh, how much people said they liked it or how often they played it was not a predictor for popularity in the wild. So the photo fit, we couldn't get the kids back away from it and some wanted to have it at home. 
and they were really serious playing it and the parents were really involved and that one was almost ignored in the museum. It was often broken off, it was rarely repeated and it was, uh, people didn't really take it seriously. They made goofy faces in the museums. Um, with another one, the poetry game that was also frequently iterated in the lab that was somewhat less played in the museum, but this one people engage with it seriously and the pattern of play was really similar in terms of them taking rounds. And the spooky stories one, the one with the transparencies, that was fairly similar in the museum to um, the lab study, so children really wanted to repeat. And also with the, the big table that was incredibly popular both in the lab and in the, in the real museum. Partially we found that the physical setup and the location had a huge influence, like the poetry game was down in a dark corner and of an alley. So there were long pauses between sequences of play. And here it was the reason why it wasn't played so often in iteration was that parents often got um, impatient having their kids play because there was nothing for them to do and they didn't want to leave it out of sight. The photo fit uh, one was inspected and started frequently, but there was too much else going on. The table, which was really in a hub place here, uh, really visible from all sides, also creating a lot of noise that drew many observers. And here, um, this one, the photo fit, is right next uh, to another one, the shadow portrait, which was really popular uh, and people could save content. So that ended up being more attractive than the photo fit and the photo fit was only used as a time filler. So here the interaction in the lab just didn't predict at all how people would create. Um, and also people um, were just having fun with it. Adult-child interactions were also really different. Um, so things we know from the literature is that parents will facilitate between siblings in terms of turn-taking, conflict resolution. They will scaffold them in terms of explaining how to use things, reading out instructions, praising them or the emotional support and also explain. And we really saw that parents in our user study wanted to be a good parent and to show that to us because we were observing. And on the other hand, they also wanted to make the study successful. So they really took a lot of effort to keep their children on track. In the museum, actually, we often saw children on their own. 15% were running around completely unsupervised while the parents were somewhere else. So 30 to 50% of adults were at least not continuously present. And there was much less adult intervention. So here's some typical example in the lab of parents facilitating turns. So she's really very, very involved. Saying, yeah, and now you do something and what do you want to do and so on. And here that's more didactical, keeping on track of what the game is about. Um, if you see this, are you happy with that eye? Yes. Um, so the kid started to do a fun face and she's getting it to do a serious one. And the parents here read the quotes, the descriptions, and in the museum, nobody did that. 
again, he has a lot of explanation going on. She even translates the ter terminology um, when the text says he had a strongly defined nose. And this kind of terminology explanation didn't happen everywhere, anywhere in the museum. And here, this mom is really making him read, interferes actively, wants him to do everything right, explains, and so on. Now this is in the museum. We see an adult busy texting. Um, they're joking around. They're not really watching what the kids are doing. So this was really typical for PhotoFit. The other one here, we see a parent explaining something. So here, educational behavior was much more common. So let's wrap it up. A summary on the usability study. Um, so if you have a non-task setup, you should be asking yourself, what is the task here? What are what alternatives do we have to standard task instructions? So here's a here's a game like installation, go and play, work quite well. This open-ended instruction was really useful. Emulating the social situation also worked quite well to a certain extent. Um, it even helped to resolve issues with children participants because um, you shouldn't be alone with a child anyway. So having the parents there also eased that and the children were also um, more on their ease with parents or with their sibling there. The drawing method for the children interview worked extremely well. Um, it's also an example for a bit of a multi-method evaluation. Emulating the physical setup was incredibly important for the usability testing, like having the touch screens of approximately the right size so we could actually see where there was issues hitting a button and so on. Um, and also for emulating the social situation in gameplay. If the screen would have been too small, we wouldn't have had like two kids and a parent uh, interacting. In terms of predicting the behavior in the museum, um, it's a little bit different. So from the usability study, we could predict the kind of more manual interaction, but not the exact engagement with the content, what people would take seriously, what they would really dive into. And we couldn't fully um, predict the social interactions. So what's called the demand characteristics of a study where you invite people somewhere and it's clear that you have a goal that not only influences the willingness to use the object, but also the social interaction patterns because the parents really wanted to be good participants and show us that they're good parents. Um, and for, for some installations, the behavior patterns were similar in the museums and for others not. And there's really a whole range of influences from the location it's set up, um, the physical setup, and even what's standing next to it. Nevertheless, the usability study was incredibly important to eradicate usability hurdles. So looking in the museum, people really understood how to interact with them. All those hurdles we had found in the usability study were gone and these were really, really um, successful. So this also partially demonstrates the benefit of doing an in the wild study comparison, uh, but the user study was nevertheless 
successful to evaluating collaborative play value and to remedy usability issues. So this semi-realistic setup is not a failure, it's the best we can get. And giving you again an idea of how important it can be to emulate the social setting and the physical setup if that's really a central tenet of the um, final situation. And we need to have a better understanding of the limitations of organized user studies. And yeah, my research really gave me a sense of what aspects are different when going out um, into the field in real life. Okay, that's good. Very interesting. Like we got a lot of questions like for you. The first thing that I, I, I want to ask you again, like um, some of these questions perhaps has been um, answers along the way because people like uh, asking um, questions as you are explaining about different things so uh, but it will be great like uh, to go through like uh, um, uh, as many as possible like uh, so we can have a, a better clarity like uh, what is it like uh, what people are interested in so uh, first one is like i would like to know like uh, how did you come up with the ideas of four installation uh, did the the uh, museum ask you uh, ordered you to do that, or was it like a more that uh, your your research group like a propose this kind of installation that would be good to be uh, tested in the Robert Byrne Museum? Um, the installations were developed by a company for the National Trust for the museum. And the funding from the National Trust said there, sh um, there should be some user testing in between. So we didn't have anything to do with the ideas for the installation and with the design. So we really mm. came in from the outside in that case. Okay. So was it like uh, after this company have this idea, like uh, there were some questions here, like uh, were you like a uh, planning uh, were you uh, planning for the study setup and then create the evaluation questions or did the like the company actually like uh, or maybe the organization uh help that uh like uh, to create that and then you are executing in the in the lab as well as hmm. in the museum so both for the company and for the national trust it was the first time with any usability evaluation um and the company had big problems actually understanding what we were doing that mm -hmm. you basically have as i try to explain naive users and you don't want anything that has to do with development um, and um, like stuff that will later be hidden um what the trust and the museum said okay we want them were easy to play we want them engaging and people should understand what they're about and make the connection with Robert Burns so that was basically what we were given um, and we had to come up ourselves how to do a study and we had the time plan which was that we got one game and then had I think only about a week to um, do the studies plus summarize it so we sat really for a full day, wrote the document on Friday, sent it off. And on Monday, we got the next game and had already set up the families to do the next study. So it was really high, high speed, high octane work. <laughs> Did you have the chance to actually like um, 
do the dry run like before you put it in a public because okay i saw that you have this um uh the museum uh the lab one where you invited people but the museum one uh people just no. come organically so did you have the chance no. to no so we okay. only had the early prototypes uh, which were like only outline graphics and the final version was much more complicated um mm -hmm. we didn't get to see anything before between that first study and when it was put into the museum mm. wow that's <laughs> that's really challenging <laughs> <laughs> i'm laughing because i see people uh, have put in links to haggis and burns <laughs> <laughs> yes because it's very specific to scotland as a <laughs> yes it is like um uh, josie and i like to put these uh, two links here like uh, one is the haggis uh and mm -hmm. then the other one is the robert burns because uh yeah. then we we also realized that it is like uh, something really specific to um scott uh, scottish people right yeah <laughs> I, i learned a lot about literature by doing this study <laughs> so so i i guess this is like a, this is very interesting like uh, the the question of uh, having such a limited time for you to prepare and then you go to the museum and set up everything um this is really like a, something that a lot of us actually like uh, facing in um in the industry uh right now like uh, okay now we're gonna we have a new product we only have uh, like a one week uh to test like uh, you have to prepare everything as a ux researcher or ux uh, tester or something like that so uh do you have any suggestion because you've been through all this process like uh, do you have any suggestion like uh, what what would be like uh, the best way like uh, we should do uh given very limited time to prepare for uh, a really good like a usability Ooh. that people really good yeah. inside i mean we had the advantage that we would know when we would get the next one so we could prepare much more from advance um And then we knew it's five games, so the process was the same. The questionnaire only needed little adaptions, so we could reuse a lot. Um, yeah, like no, knowing that people drop out and don't come, that you overrun in time, that you need a break. Um, testing in public places actually wasn't so good because at some point we had to just take a break and get a coffee and when we came back our camera was gone <laughs> <laughs> what is that <laughs> well never turned up again somebody saw it and took it oh no okay but yeah for the usability testing we didn't rely so much on the video it was important to stand there and scribble like crazy yeah i saw that picture that was crazy like a uh you had these uh, 20 hours of like a one researcher one doing that one so oh, that, that that was a follow-up study in the museum oh okay so so how was like uh, the the time in term of time uh like a uh, limitation and time um division and things like that how did it work for the usability study yes yes for the researcher who did not realize so much on this uh, taking notes because there are so much and uh, notes that the researcher took right like uh, during the like a uh, looking at the children 
Yeah, ba basically we were with two people standing there and scribbling and later taking that together. We had a look at the games before we got them, like a day before, um, where we would tell them, okay, here's a usability error. If you can quickly fix it, maybe already do it because we are already seeing that and we can anticipate it's a problem. So we knew the game and they are not that extensive. So it's easy to know what's going to happen. That might be different with a more complex installation. Mm -hmm. And yeah, just writing like crazy uh, and sitting down immediately at the end of the day for another half hour or hour to just reflect on, okay, what did we see happening a couple of times? And then the next day we had the next round of people um, and we could then focus more on what was new and what was coming up again and again and again. Hmm. I guess one of the most common questions is that uh, when you do a usability testing, like uh, sometimes you need to expect for the unexpected things, right? Like, uh, so uh, the thing is like uh, what I would like to know from your study, like um, did you have a kind of like a form that you fill out that's already pre-made form that you need, you already you uh that you have to fill out or it is more on a, like a free uh, note taking from the researcher for us that was free note taking okay. i mean it was the first time we did a study like that maybe if you do it if you get more experience you might realize there's ways to abbreviate that i could think of things like doing screenshots of the installation and then writing on that maybe if else it gets difficult to actually describe on paper where people are having what problem um so did you measure the under like there's a question here did you measure the understanding of the visitor for the content uh or do you more like a focusing on a uh, you know, like a measuring the experience first? Both things. So whether they understand the content, we got that from the, the questionnaire uh, and interviews. So there we were having explicit questions also for the kids, like, okay, when you go home, um, how would you describe what kind of game this was and what was it about? And then we could get if they actually related it to poetry and to burns and so on. Mm, I see. That's interesting. So a question like that, I've used that in my research already quite often because um, we wanted to get people to, to know how people understood things but not to ask them directly. And then that question of like, okay, you come home, how do you describe your partner, your mom, um, your sibling, what you've done um, actually works quite well. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Because yeah. they're not answering you, they're anticipating talking to somebody else in that moment. Yeah. So I, I guess you, you also need like a before the study that you anticipate different kind of scenarios that you would perhaps like a, uh, see during the um the observation right um yeah um so uh there's a lot of questions in the chat yes yeah so i i don't go through like um uh in order but i just go through so it will flow well <laughs> uh there's a question here like uh, is it 
uh, a lot of question related to children because children is uh, perhaps is quite uh, challenging in terms yes. of giving feedback um like uh, what would be what do you what what is your view about that like uh, um how can so you yeah, get sure. like a better insight from them so you're working with children is really difficult if they're age eight and older it's easier because they get more reflective and they give you quite adult answers with smaller children there's all these issues they can't focus you have to repeat the question um halfway through they just come with something else so i was really lucky with emma as a co-researcher because she'd done studies in kindergartens and she was <clears throat> really good in sitting down with the children and talking through with them being very calm um, so i think for studies with children you need a personality that's good with that um, what really worked well was the idea with the drawings because then children had something to hold on to so they would say oh yeah this is me and here's and this shows this and this thing and we could at least see which uh, parts of the game they thought were important and that impressed them. I was simply an anchoring point to start with a conversation. But for a large part, we also relied on what the parents said in terms of how the children liked it and how to interpret the, the problems they had. And the observation was simply really important. So with small children, um, observation is really more important than what they say i would say also because they pretty much all said yeah the game was great but the first five to ten minutes they had absolutely struggled with it so they only remembered the the bit at the end that was coloring the whole perception i think much more they wouldn't reflect back on um yeah the first five minutes i didn't have a clue so I guess like uh, the role of the observer and the facilitator is very important like uh, to to know what would be like uh, the best on the right moment to uh, get the best uh, data from the users, from yeah. the children especially, isn't it? Yeah, and with children you need to be prepared of anything, like there was one that tried to jump on our table and almost broke it. Mm. Right, right. Uh, thank you for that uh, answer. So uh, we have uh, some um, uh, question here related to the augmented reality. Like, uh, what what is your? Uh, this is a question from Osi and as, as well as from Graha Pramudita. Like, uh, what would be the challenges to design augmented reality experience in a museum for children? Um. For children, augmented reality, that's two things. Um, so one general issue with augmented reality, if you have see-through glasses, is that other people don't see what you're doing. Um, I only have one analogy to that. In a prior study in Berlin, um, people were looking through a kind of telescope installation. And it was pretty high, so parents had to put their children on on their shoulders and the kid was there trying to look through. So parents okay. had their kids on their shoulders and the kid was up there trying to look through. 
but they actually had the wrong angle or they would move the thing too much and you would have to hold it still. So parents didn't know what was happening and knowing how difficult it was to get this right, you could really know that the kids weren't getting anything out of the experience. Oh, so that can be an issue because the parents often help the kids in terms of, oh, yeah, slowly, and now you have to press here or there, or another kid might do that. And the, if you have augmented reality, it's really hard to help because you're simply not knowing what's going on. Oops, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Somebody <Sorry. playing. laughs> All right. Well, there's two issues. Augmented reality and doing it with kids is probably even more difficult. Um, mm -hmm. I tend to like this kind of projected augmented reality much more because mm -hmm. it's more amenable to social sharing, to doing something in a group. Yeah. So what is the and current trend? Not equipment. Okay. <laughs> right. Okay. So. Uh, you uh, you mentioned before that you are working with a company like uh, this company does not really have any idea like about the usability testing so um i think that is like a quite typical situation right now like uh, people uh, the ux researcher try to do user uh, testing or usability testing but the company does not know the value of that so how did you explain to them to convince yeah. them so first, as a backdrop, um, in the museum industry, there's usually no funding for, for usability evaluation. That's the reason why the companies in this area um, are more interaction designers. They do things out of their gut feeling. They have a lot of experience, but because there's no funding for it and no time usually, uh, it's not done. So that's why the whole sector doesn't do it. And yeah, really, we had to go on the phone and write long emails trying to explain, yeah, um, if we try to explain to people that these are just the, the, the objects that have kind of flown off the screen, but will come back later and so on, that's too much detail. And we want people, we need, we need to recreate the situation. What will people see when they come into the museum? If we have something now that is different, it will distract them and we won't even get started. It was really difficult. Um, we did need some help from our actual customer, the museum, in terms of saying, yeah, this is important and they know what they're doing. Please do it. And yeah, there were several discussions um, and it cost us, I don't know, one hour of back and forth and it went over an entire week. Luckily that one first installation, we got the prototype much earlier than we actually were scheduled to do the tests. So that might be something that's useful if you have a company, a technology developer that's not used to usability testing to ask them, can you give us an early prototype, really early, so we can already give you feedback uh, in terms of getting something, what we need in order to actually be able to do a usability test. Hmm. Yeah, that's... I think once, once they got our feedback from the first one, I think it also got easier because then they could see what we were doing. 
Yeah, I think that is like a, the key thing that we have to find out, like a, we got to get from the company. Sometimes like a, we never get to the point <laughs> that the company got, you know, like uh, understood or uh, agree with what we are doing. And then within the very short time uh, limit, then uh, you have to negotiate and prepare and everything that you have basically have to do everything, right? But mm. you did you did a really good job, like uh, with, with your project in uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was really interesting. <laughs> um, yeah, so if you if like I think this would be like a uh, we can't really like go through all the questions. Like, um, what would be like uh, what if you were to repeat the study? What would you like to change? Oh. No idea right now. Not being so stupid to go for coffee and thinking, oh, nobody will see the camera. Because <laughs> <laughs> that really, oh, we were so angry. And then we still had to do two studies and we had lost the data from the morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh yeah uh oh yeah but uh, that could be related to i mean like can i can you take one more question because like uh, it's about yeah. that that uh taking like uh, this is just came up like uh, this question we have you screenshot ideas for not taking templates is it is this useful for taking notes on ui elements do you have any template ideas for taking notes on social interaction sorry no no i'm usually more of an ethnographer so i just do it on the fly um, even like including little drawings of how people configure themselves around an installation around the screen and these little stick figures yeah well thank you well this is good all the things that you are doing it's awesome and um, we have learned so much from you uh, today, I guess, like uh, everybody, I hope that everybody also learned something from the uh, from uh, Professor Honig's uh, presentation today.